Good morning, everyone. Am I on? I am on. Good. Uh, just a reminder how summer's working. It's a little bit different, so we don't have Sunday school or nursery staffed. But if you are toddler age 18 to junior kindergarten, there's a program downstairs. Also, if there's any families that have especially wiggly kids, the service is broadcast in the library, and there's tables and stuff in the library. You can watch it there. We also have it broadcast downstairs in the main play area. So if any wiggly kids want to go down there, the service is there, the parents can watch, and they can wiggle. Um, but we love the sound of kids. We love having kids in service too. But we just want to let you know during the summer we have these options uh, because we're giving our Sunday school staff a break and our volunteers a break during the summer. Um, we're continuing in our series on or sorry on uh, doctrine, summer series on doctrine, and today we're on the doctrine of regeneration. And uh, I was looking for some resources that you could follow up for more. Uh, information on regeneration, and of course, many of you families, our, our regular families especially, uh, have J.I. Packer's book, Concise Theology. And if you have the Concise Theology book, it will be a chapter called Regeneration, pages 157 to 158. I've never preached specifically on regeneration before, as I will touch on shortly, and so the closest I could find would be 2017, uh, December 3rd. I spoke on the love of the Father, and that message, if you wanted to hear some more, has themes of regeneration in it. And then finally, there's a short book called Finally Alive, which is specifically about regeneration. It's written by John Piper, and it is also free online. So if you want to read a short book on what regeneration means to the Christian life, then you could check that out. So those are just some extra materials for you to have in terms of uh, regeneration. So we're continuing in this series on biblical doctrine, and uh, we come today probably to what could easily be the most important doctrine that gets the least direct attention. Uh, I phrased it this way, or paraphrase Churchill, rarely has so little been said by so few about something so important to so many. And that's regeneration. And you'll understand as we get into it why regeneration is so important, but why as you are sitting here today, you are probably thinking to yourself, I've never even heard of the doctrine of regeneration. And yet you're telling me it's one of the most important ones that we could talk about. Well, to be fair, similar to our last message on atonement, this doctrine gets little direct attention because we don't tend to talk about it with the name regeneration. We talk around it. We assume it. We don't say atonement when we talk about what Jesus has done. We don't say regeneration when we talk about being born again, as it says in John 3.3, 3, or being made alive by the Spirit, 1 Peter 3.18, or you know, being a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. But that is what regeneration is. It's all these things that we talk about of being believers. Or, we, or when we formerly talk about being dead in our sins and something changes. Or when we talk about how no one is righteous and no one can seek God. Something has to happen in between there because obviously many people have sought God. God, and we are no longer dead in our sins. So something happens, and that something that happens is what is known as the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration explains that thing, that event that must take place in a believer's life, in any life, in order for us to know who God is and to experience spiritual life. Something has to happen. 
So regeneration talks about what is happening. When did it happen? How does it happen? Who does it? What does it mean? And as we unpack this doctrine, we'll see that it has practical implications to our life as Christians. Sometimes you get into doctrine, and I know you think this way. You think, oh, it's just, you know, the big words and, you know, a whole bunch of text. And, but what is, why is it important? Why do we need atonement and regeneration and all of this language? Why do we need to meditate on the minutia of biblical detail? Well, it is important because knowledge of our regeneration will be helpful to us in living out our faith. But most important, it's, it's, it's mostly important because it's necessary to our understanding of why we're Christians and how we became so. And so rather than talking around the idea of regeneration today, as often happens, we want to look straight at it. What is regeneration? Why should we rejoice in meditating on it? and meditating on its truth. And there's going to be a lot of text today, as there always is in these doctrinal sermons, and I'll have most of them up here on the screen. Uh, But the text is important because we are looking at what the Bible says about this topic in many different places. And let me just open in a word of prayer before we begin to dig into what regeneration is and why it is so important to us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to study it in minute detail, and even in studying it so closely, it gives us glimpses of depths we cannot fathom. That what you have done is beyond imagination, it's beyond our understanding, but you've given us your Holy Word and you've given us your Holy Spirit, which allows us to have our eyes opened and our hearts to resonate with the truth of who you are and what you've done. And so today, as we look at your Word, we pray that it would come alive to us and we would be in awe of what you have done and what you have made us, and the opportunity that you have given the whole world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing to understand about regeneration, and the only way regeneration will make any sense at all, is we have to understand our predicament. And we need to consider where we would be or where we are without regeneration. Just as atonement is God's answer to the problem of our sinful nature, regeneration is God's answer to the predicament our sin puts us in. Here's the problem that we need to recognize. We are literally unable to seek God or to choose righteousness or to see beauty in Jesus or to love the light apart from regeneration. We're incapable of it. And the Bible describes this predicament that we are in in lots of different ways in sort of an escalating litany of examples and metaphors and comparisons that describes to us this spiritual reality so that we don't miss it. Very quickly, the Bible talks about it in kind of a sensing point of view from 2 Corinthians. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul says, we are moving around spreading the knowledge of God everywhere. But then he says this, very interesting. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So he says this knowledge of God goes out like a fragrance to people. People saved, people perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death, and to other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul is essentially saying there's two kinds of people in the world, and the knowledge of God is presented the same to everybody. Those being saved, it's the fragrance of life. But to those who are perishing, who don't want to believe it, it is the fragrance of death. 
They cannot smell how good the knowledge of God is. They don't have the taste for it. They don't have the senses to know God is good. Or the idea is given to us often as blindness and darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Or 1 John 2.11 says, whoever hates his brother is in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Ephesians 5.8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light and you walk as children of light. Sometimes we're told in terms of intellect or thought. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the Bible also tells us in terms of moral reality and faith. Romans 3.10, it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. This is our problem. This is our predicament. Ultimately, the Bible says it's death. Romans 2, oh, sorry, I'm one behind there. It's like death. <laughs> Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who are dead in your trespasses. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And then worse than death even, perhaps, is it says that we are not even yet born. Jesus said and answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I just, I just give you this as just sort of a list, okay? The Bible just says over and over and over and over again, we are in trouble. We have a problem. We cannot know God. We are incapable of seeing the goodness of him and the joy of him. The Bible tells us in many places and many ways we can't sense God, we don't respond to his word, we are blind to him, we're covered in darkness, we are lost, our minds don't want to nor can even understand his law, we're spiritually dead and unable to respond. In fact, we have not even yet been born, we are incapable. And we touched on this in our last message on the doctrine of man. And you recall from the point of view of this being caused by our sin. We're dead because of our sin. And Ephesians 4.18 sums it up the best possible way. This is our predicament. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Well, you sum all that up, that's a bad predicament. That is a bad spot for humanity to be in. And we need an answer to this. There has to be a solution to this problem. In fact, if God is going to reach us with his gospel, God needs a solution for this problem. And I am so glad that God wants to fix this problem because God actually can fix it. The very nature of the problem that we have really means that he has to be the one that fixes it because we can't. We are dead. We literally are incapable of fixing this problem ourselves. And so God comes along and he does a thing in our lives called regeneration. And that's not something we made up. The Bible calls it regeneration too. So God solves our Ephesians 4.18 problem with the solution of Titus 3.5. Titus 3.4-5 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's God's answer. He says, Ephesians 4.18, you've got a problem. You are alienated from my life because you are ignorant of me and you have a hardness of heart. You are dead. You are incapable of knowing me. But he says, I've got a Titus 3, 4 to 5 solution for you. In my love and goodness, I am going to wash you and regenerate you by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You want a top five memory verse for this year, that would be it there. Top three, maybe. In fact, for 2022, we could say this could be your number one memory verse. Titus 3, 4 to 5. Regeneration is that work of God that moves us from blindness to sight, from dark to light, from death to life, from spiritual death into being born again by the Spirit. If God does not regenerate us, we cannot see Him, we cannot respond to Him, we cannot have faith in Him, we cannot be saved by Him. And so regeneration is critically important to us. That's why I said early on, even though you may have never heard of the doctrine of regeneration before, your spiritual life absolutely depends on it. So what is it important to know about regeneration? Well, first of all, that regeneration is a work of God. You remember last message on atonement, we talked about Christus exemplar and Christus victor and Christus propitiator. Christ our example, Christ our victor, Christ our substitute. And one of the things we said that was important as we sort of moved through those was how the focus kept shifting away from us and towards Jesus and towards God. And the doctrine of regeneration works the same way. Regeneration is something that only God can do. All of the focus of regeneration is on God. It's something he does without our help or involvement. Titus says there that he saved us. In Titus it says he saved us not because of his works done by us in righteousness, In other words, Paul says it this way in Galatians. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. So this is Paul's personal experience, the Apostle Paul. He says, I was a great Pharisee. Oh man, I was head of the class. I was on fire for traditional religious stuff. But all of that religious authority, all of that religious zeal, all of that religious effort that I was putting forth could not let me really know God. It couldn't save me. It wasn't until God, who before I was even born, set me apart, and then when he called me by his grace, he showed me Jesus. Quite literally, if you know the story of the Apostle Paul when he was called Saul on the road to Damascus, (laughs) literally he was blinded by the light of knowing Jesus and seeing Jesus. And then Jesus put scales over his eyes and then had those scales removed so that he could see the mission and the kingdom that he had for him. Now, Paul knew who Jesus was. He was running around throwing Christians in jail for preaching so much about Jesus. So this is not just a question of intellectually knowing Jesus. Paul knew who he was. But he couldn't know Jesus, not with all the religious work and training in the world, until God regenerated his heart, until God gave him new spiritual eyes to see. John says the same thing about how this is a work of God. 
He says in John 1, 12 to 13, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John says, this is God who is causing this to happen. It's by his will. And then James says the same thing, a little bit different. James 1.18, it says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we would be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So James says, God brought us forth. And of course, we've already mentioned Jesus' words to Nicodemus. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And born again there, geno anathen, literally means born from above. We say born again, but Jesus, and everywhere in the New Testament, says born from above. That's the emphasis. Unless you are born from God, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It has to come from God. So you have to understand the most important thing to remember here, one of the most important things that we need to understand and remember and meditate on is regeneration is 100% a work of God. He has acted towards us in order to regenerate us to stir us up, to quicken us, is the old King James way of saying it, to quicken us so that we can know him and be born again. Now, this is where things start to get precise because the first two ideas are kind of easy-peasy. We're dead, we're incapable, and so God does the regeneration. Those are easy things to understand. We got that. But now we got to get precise because how does this happen? When does it happen? What order does the gospel and regeneration and faith and justification and sanctification, like, how does it all happen? When do I actually become regenerate and what are its effects? Well, we see that God accomplishes his regeneration through his word. God has a means by which he is regenerating us, and it is the gospel. We're obviously not born regenerated, just the opposite. The Bible says we're born into sin. We're born unregenerate. We're awaiting regeneration. And so regeneration then is something that has to come to us at a point in time. And God has a means by which he brings us to that moment of regeneration. And you will not be surprised that that moment of regeneration comes to us by the gospel, by the word of God. Specifically, the good news about the atoning life, death, and resurrection of his son so that regeneration comes to us. And how do we know that? How do we know that regeneration comes to us through the word? Well, there's many different verses that describe this event, that this is how it takes place. In 1 Peter, he says, since you, he's talking to his Christian friends in this letter, he says, since you have been born again, there's that word born from above, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You see, Peter makes the connection. It's really clear. You were born from above. How were you born from above? Through the word of God. What is the word of God? This good news, the gospel that we just preached to you. We preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Regeneration comes to you, and you are born from above. Or by example, we can consider the household of Cornelius. Very early on in the movement of the gospel going outward by the disciples in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter gets a request by a man in the city of Caesarea called Cornelius. And he's a Roman guy, and he's a guy who's heard about God, the Father, and he's trying to be a follower. And Peter comes to his house, and he's preaching the word there. We have it recorded for us in Acts. Acts. 
That's the gospel of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit falls on this household, and they are regenerated, and they respond to Peter's preaching, we see in Acts 10.44. And then after the Spirit falls on these people, being a good Baptist, Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So remember, Jesus prepared his disciples for this. He said to them before he ascended, go preach the gospel to the world. And, and when the Holy Spirit comes and starts regenerating people, then baptize those brothers and sisters. This is God at work here, and this is how God is working. He's working through his word as you preach the gospel. People will become regenerate. They will be born again. They will receive the Holy Spirit. And when you see that happen, you baptize them. And the kingdom grows. But it's not just Peter. Paul had the same experience. The Bible records Paul's experience of this in Acts 16. He's traveling all over the place, from Troas to Samothrace to Neapolis to Philippi. And he gets there, and he describes a stop by a river to preach. And Paul's companion Luke records for us, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatria. Thyatira. I should have pronounced that before I preached up here. Theatria. No, Theatira. Theatira, whatever one of those Greek cities, and she was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. See, there it is again. The word goes forth. God acts. Lydia can't do it. Lydia is dead in her sin. She's not born again. She is unregenerate. She does not seek God. She cannot see the beauty of God. So the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to the gospel, and through the gospel she is born again and baptized. And again, just notice in the text there that she is baptized immediately following that in in verse 15. So we're not born regenerate. God causes our regeneration, but specifically, regeneration normally comes to us by means of our hearing the gospel. And that could be by reading the gospel in the Bible, meditating on the gospel, perhaps even dreaming about the good news of Jesus and what he's done. Whatever it is, at some point, Jesus comes to us in the gospel and regeneration takes place. But what are the results of regeneration? The results of regeneration are essentially, and I'm not overstating this, everything that we receive from God. One of the reasons we sort of talk around regeneration as Christians is because regeneration accomplishes so much that we are always captivated by all of the results. We have so many names for the experience of regeneration, we sometimes overlook that something has happened to trigger all those things. And now I'm just going to mention what I mean here and then unpack them further in our next message on August 7th. On August 7th, we're going to be talking about justification and sanctification. But here's some of the things that we talk about as a product of regeneration. As we just read in these experiences, faith and receiving the Holy Spirit. Regeneration causes us immediately to have faith and to believe in Jesus Christ and in the goodness of God. Because Cornelius and Lydia Lydia were made alive to the knowledge of God, they could hear the gospel and receive it, and receiving at that same time, at that same moment, received the Holy Spirit, they believed and were baptized, what we would call saved or born again. That's a pretty important result. But then as we will see, regeneration causes the reversal of all the negative consequences of sin. 
It is through regeneration. Not only are we saved, but we are made a new creation, that we are adopted, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we have eternal life, that we are made righteous. You get the idea. It can go on and on. All of these things that happen to us in the Christian life that we talk about all the time are the product of regeneration. None of those things come to us except that God has regenerated us, that he has brought us from death to life. And so we're going to look deeper at those processes and that product of sanctification, all the ways we're made a new creation, all the ways we're made alive, all the benefits of regeneration we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. And eventually we're going to talk about glorification, our eternal reward of regeneration. But I just want to quickly bring us back in closing to regeneration itself. And I give you guys credit. You guys have been brilliant this summer as we've been going through doctrine. Not many churches go through series like this where they study in minutia what God has done and the doctrine of the Scripture and the doctrine of who God is. And so I give you guys credit because you're sticking with it. But this is important. This is why regeneration itself is important. How does meditating on and understanding the doctrine of regeneration apply to us specifically? And what does the reality of regeneration as a work of God mean to our faith? I'll just give you four quick summarizing points as to that reason. First of all, when we really understand the doctrine of regeneration and what God has done by his action, we realize that regeneration is a morally leveling doctrine. Because regeneration tells us that everybody is in need of regeneration. And by telling us that everybody is in need of regeneration, it conveys and communicates the gospel reality that the grace of God comes to all manner of people equally. The Christian faith is not about our moral superiority, but about our moral necessity as human beings. Very moral, upstanding, good people need to be born again, just as much as very immoral people need to be born again. Outwardly religious people need the new birth as much as irreligious and sacrilegious people do. You cannot look at anybody on the outside and judge whether they need regeneration more than the other or not. We all need regeneration. Doesn't matter how religious, how good, how moral, how polite, how nice you are. Doesn't matter how wicked, how evil, how broken, how whatever you are. Everybody. Regeneration is a morally leveling doctrine because everybody needs to be born again by the Spirit or we are lost. The Pharisee Nicodemus needed the new birth just as much as the demonized man of Gerasenes. Secondly, regeneration drains our hearts of any remaining legalism or self-sufficiency. We cannot make ourselves alive to the beauty of Jesus any more than a corpse can make itself alive to the beauty of a meadow it is buried in. So regeneration very clearly makes it very clear that our faith is not our doing. It is God's grace God's mercy, God's act towards us. It's by his grace we are saved. It's by his grace that he keeps us saved. And a lot of times we miss this. We struggle with this reality that it is by God's will, not man's will, that we are born again. We struggle with the thought. We hate the idea that we are literally spiritually incapable of knowing God, that we are dead. 
We are like Lazarus in the tomb. You remember the story of Jesus and his disciples, and they were several days away, and his friend Lazarus died, and they put him in the tomb, and he was in there for like three or four days. Four days it was, and he finally got there. They actually delayed a little bit so that he'd arrive late just to make sure he was good and dead, right? And then he comes, and he's like, well, where is he? He's like, he's in the tomb, man. He's been dead four days. He's starting to smell. Can, can Lazarus do anything to bring himself back to life? <laughs> no. And this is what the Bible is telling about us spiritually. We cannot do it. But then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he's alive. Now, he's still got grave clothes on him. Probably still smells a little bit. He needs people, you know, to say, hey, welcome to life. You know, let us get you dressed properly and wash you down a little bit. And there's some sanctification and glorification that needs to happen. But Lazarus cannot bring himself to life. God has to do it. That is a picture of regeneration. And so regeneration drains our, our, oh, we just so much want to have a piece of what we accomplish, right? Like, we got to do something for ourselves. Regeneration says, you cannot. It's all God. It's all God. You do not earn anything in your, in, your glorif- in your resurrection and in your salvation. Thirdly, regeneration as an act of God's will is a profound sense of assurance. As, as Christians, we should just have so much confidence that this is what the doctrine of regeneration is. We should be so overjoyed that it is God that calls us out of the tomb. Because if we can feel like we are dead, if we look only to ourselves by our own actions, even our own will, if it is up to us to make ourselves a new creation, if it is up to us to keep ourselves spiritually alive, who in this room would be successful at that? None of us. I wouldn't be. You're telling me it's up to me to keep myself spiritually alive? It's up to me to become a new creation? It's up to me to accomplish this? Oh, man, I would despair every day of my Christian life if it was up to me. But the doctrine of regeneration says it's not up to me. God has done it. He's brought me from death into life. I'm in his hands. He has quickened me. I am born again into his life. And that is such a sense of assurance to Christians. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done. It's not what we make of ourselves. It's what God has made us. Atonement reassures us that Christ has done what we cannot. Regeneration assures us that God has made us something we could not make ourselves to be. He has taken our guilt, and he's placed it on Jesus in atonement, and he's taken our hearts of stone, and he's given us hearts of flesh in regeneration so that we can respond to the gospel and stand justified and alive before him. That's where our confidence and assurance stands. And then finally, regeneration confirms we really are a new creation. It's not just poetic speech. If you apprehend it, if you take hold of your identity as a new creation by God's will, by his power, then you will be more readily and even finally be set free from the grasp of old and broken identities that are not true of you and that the world tries to confuse and condemn you with. If you understand the doctrine of regeneration and meditate on it and think on it and dwell on it and praise God for it, then that will be instrumental in actually causing you to become a new creation. You will be unhooked from all the 
erroneous and dangerous identities that the world tries to pin on you, and you will begin to live as a child of God. Your new identity is that you are in Christ. You are a child of God. You are free. You are loved. You stand righteous before God. You have a Father who will never reject you. You have a Savior who will never abandon you. You have a power that will never leave you. You have a family that you'll always belong to. And so much more. All of this flows from regeneration. And so we don't talk about regeneration very much. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, you understand what regeneration means in Scripture. It will unlock to you so many glories of the gospel. Because this is the good news. This is the gospel. The Father will never reject you. The Savior will never abandon you. A power will never leave you, a family you'll always belong to. All of that comes from regeneration, and that is the gospel. If you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you have anything that you would, you know, wonder about regeneration, I I urge you to dig into it deeper this week. Let's pray. Father God. We just thank you this morning for this word. We thank you for all of these scriptures that we just kind of drifted through just to see how over and over and over again you tell us repeatedly, this is our predicament. We are dead. We're not even born yet. And then, Father, we give you thanks that we have this reality, this tightest reality that we are renewed we are regenerated by the washing that it's your will that you have done this that you have brought us from death to life that you have caused us to be born and father the assurance that comes from that lord we just give you praise and father father god i just pray that even this morning or online here online wherever or later on people listening to this afterwards if they are hearing the gospel with regenerated ears and a regenerated heart for the first time that they would just say yes to you lord that they would say, yes, this resonates with me. This resounds with me. I am alive to this. And when they take that first spiritual breath and realize that they are alive to the realities of God, then they know in that moment that they are born again, that they repent, that they turn. They turn from the old ways. They repent, and they turn, and they live for you. Father God, I pray that miracle will take place even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.